Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. You can turn to smartphone apps for help when you're lost on the road. But where can you turn when you're feeling lost in the journey of life? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares hope and comfort from the Psalms to demonstrate when you cry out to God for help, He is always faithful to respond. Listen as David introduces today's message, Lord, I need help for my life. Thank you so much for joining us today. We turn now from Psalm 71 to Psalm 121, and the title we've placed over that psalm is simply, Lord, I need help for my life. And uh, that's kind of the feeling of dependence that grows on you when you're confined to a hospital bed or you're not able to go outside for any reason or things are just not the same as they used to be. When something goes wrong in your life, where do you instinctively look for help? As children and adolescents, we turn to our parents, and as adults, we look to our peers. But the Christian learns to look heavenward to the God who helps and protects. We look up. This psalm is about looking up when things are looking down. And we'll get to it in just a moment. First, let me tell you about a resource for the month of August. Our resource this month is a brand new product called Sleep on This. It's a beautiful gift book with a padded cover and gold embossed letters. And it's filled with evening reflections from God's Word. These are specifically written to comfort your heart before you go to sleep at night. And the beauty of the book is you can read them for yourself or you can click on the QR code on the opposite page and we have a wonderful reader who will read these for you. Every night you just go to the next page, click on the code, and here he comes to read to you these beautiful uh, writings to help you calm your heart and your spirit before you sleep at night. You can get a copy of this book from Turning Point by simply sending a gift to us during the month of August. Send your gift of any size and then ask for your copy of the book, Sleep on This. It's the only way we can keep going is if you keep giving. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your love for this ministry, for your prayer, for all that we do. And may God continue to bless you and be blessed by this ministry. Thanks for your help. And now... Here it is. Lord, I need help for my life. In one of Charles Schultz's famous Peanuts cartoons, Lucy is philosophizing about life as it is. She's in a real nostalgic mood and thinking about the deep things of life. And she says, Charlie Brown, life is, well, it's like a deck chair. Some put the chair to see where they've been, and some put it where they can see where they are at the present. Charlie Brown says in the next frame, Lucy, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. (laughs) (laughs) And I know a lot of folks who feel that way about life. You know, they don't know whether it's looking back to see what it's meant or forward to see what it will be or looking at the present. They haven't even figured out what life is. 
Sort of like the young businesswoman who was approached by a real estate agent who wanted to sell her a home. She said, a home? I was born in a hospital, educated in a boarding school, courted in a car, married in church. We eat in restaurants, spend our mornings playing golf, and spend our afternoons playing bridge at the clubs. Every night we go to a movie. When I die, I'm going to be buried from a funeral home. I don't need a home. I need a garage. That's all she needs. And that's where a lot of people are. They just go in and go out and never stay at home. Do you know what I'm talking about? Life can be such a frenetic pace for all of us in this generation. And life is hard to figure out, even if we're believers. How do we deal with life and all of its challenges? From an unfolded deck chair to living out of a garage can be a very difficult thing to define. In the words of the Bible, life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. It's like grass that grows up for a season and then it's gone. One of the best pictures of life found throughout Scripture is that of a pilgrim who's on a journey through a land that is not his own. In the words of the old spiritual, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. One of the best loved stories of that journey, I remember reading as a part of our devotional time when I was growing up as a kid called Pilgrim's Progress. It dramatically portrays the joys and dangers of the Christian life on this earth. As we've opened our Bibles today to Psalm 121, we can hear the psalmist crying out, Lord, I need help for my life. I need help for my journey. I don't know how to get from where I am to where I know I'm supposed to go. Lord, I need help. How many of you have ever made that prayer to the Lord? Lord, I need help for my life. That's the title of today's message for Psalm 121 is known as a pilgrim psalm. It gives us strength and courage for our journey through life. In this beautiful psalm of just eight verses, we are encouraged to trust God even when the things that happen to us are not our choice. The confidence that is expressed in Psalm 121 is rooted in the grandeur of the psalmist's vision of God, who is the maker of heaven and earth, a God who can be trusted to help us in the mundane things of our life on this journey here below. In spite of all the perils we face, the mountainous terrain and the desert climate, we can trust the Lord. The psalmist reminds us that God is neither too great to care nor are his people too insignificant for him to know us. The psalm reflects on a God who calms our anxieties and watches over us like a shepherd who watches over his sheep. Now, in many of the translations of the psalms, and if you'll look down at your Bible, I would imagine you probably have something like this at the beginning. Just over the psalm, there is a title, and it's called A Song of Ascents. And that is a wonderful superscription that reminds us that there are 15 psalms with that title, beginning with Psalm 120. Psalm 121 is the second of this listing of psalms, and they are very important because scholars believe that these were songs that were sung when the Israelites would travel from the lowlands of Palestine up to Jerusalem for their feast days. They would start out and make their journey for the special celebrations at the temple in Jerusalem. And as they moved upward toward the temple, at each level they would sing another one of these songs of ascent. In fact, if you read them in order, you can almost see the progression from the outlying areas of the land up to the temple where they're going to worship God. 
It was a pilgrimage. In fact, Psalm 42 and verse four catches just a little bit of the nuance of this. It says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And you get the feeling of these groups of people moving toward Jerusalem and singing the songs of ascent as they went to their celebration, to their feast days in the city. Also, these songs were among those that were sung by the captives when they came back from their Babylonian exile and came back to their city. Well, the Psalms for the pilgrimage to Jerusalem become metaphors for us today. We're not going up to Jerusalem for any feasts, but ours is a different journey from the lowlands of this place to the place to which God has called us. And these songs have been such a great encouragement to many believers as they understand that these are truths we need to know as we journey through this life on our way to be with God for eternity. This life is never meant to be portrayed in the scripture as an easy place. A lot of times Christians are misled by that. They think that Christianity just sort of takes all the sting out of life and makes it possible for it to just sail through life. It's unfortunate that that truth gets set abroad because when people face trouble, then they're disillusioned and disappointed. But God never teaches us that. He says, we're pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land where we're not recognized, where often we're criticized, and the journey through the mountainous terrain to the place to which God has called us can often be difficult. There's truth in these psalms to help us as we make our way. Now, the psalm itself has four stanzas, but it's really just two sections. The first two verses are section one, and the last six verses are section two. And the psalm then falls into two separate categories. First of all, let's notice the possibilities for help along journey's way. Psalm 121, verses one and two. And the psalmist gives us some ideas as to where we can look. When we're trying to find help, where do we look? First of all, we're tempted to look around. Look around us for help. The psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. As he anticipates his journey through the mountains to Jerusalem, he looks to the hills. As he contemplates his journey, he sees the route and the final destination with anxiety and anticipation. It's interesting if you study the Bible carefully how important the mountains are in the Bible. How many great things happened on a mountain. The sacrifice of Isaac, the Lord Jesus' death on Mount Calvary, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the delivering of the message on Mount Olivet. All of the mountains in the Bible are so important. And mountains had a picture for people in those days that perhaps are not quite the same for us, although I must confess that mountains are very special to me. I brag to all my friends around the country that I'm 20 minutes away from the mountains and 20 minutes away from the ocean, and that on a couple of days I've gone to both places in the same day. In fact, I know people that water ski and snow ski on the same day just to be cute and to brag to their friends back east about the beautiful place in which they live. Mountains are majestic, and I don't know of anything that calms my spirit or helps me to get things in perspective more than take a drive up into the Laguna Mountains and just find a special place where you can get off and just think and look at the terrain and the beauty and grandeur. There's something about the mountains that reminds you of the majesty of God. And so in the Old Testament, that's the way it was. Mountains often had a positive impact in the storyline of the Old Testament scriptures. For instance, Isaiah 55, 12, you remember this? 
For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. Or Psalm 125 verses 1 and 2 speaks of it this way. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. There are many, many passages in the Old Testament that speak of the mountains as a place of blessing. But how many of you know the mountains can also be a place of danger? Hardly ever does a winter go by that we don't hear of someone who's lost in the mountain terrain, someone who went skiing and went off by themselves and gets lost, and because of the snow cover, there's no way for them to trace their steps backward. In those days, the mountains were a place of danger and hardship. There were animals and bandits. Oftentimes, false deities had their temples in the mountains, and so the mountains not only had the feeling of majesty for the pilgrim, but it also had a feeling of danger and wonder what would happen. So as the pilgrim in the psalmist day made his way to the mountain, he saw it as a place of fear and a place of hope. It was a place of danger and salvation. The mountains were the home of pagan deities and also the place where Jehovah God had his temple. So the psalmist said, I will look to the hills. Often we look around for help only to discover that what we thought was going to be there leaves us a bit short. Well, then he decides when he looks around for help, he will look within. He says, I will look up until the hills from whence cometh my help. (laughs) It's interesting to me how often I've heard this psalm sung or taught or even recited, and I realize immediately that for a long time I misunderstood what it was meaning. In fact, if you look down in your Bibles, if you have a New King James Bible, you'll notice that they've corrected the punctuation in the psalm. For so many years, we read the psalm like this. I will look to the hills from whence come with my help. And the idea was that somehow we were going to get help out of the mountains. But that's not what the psalm says at all. The psalmist says, I will look unto the hills. Almost a period there. And then the beginning of a new sentence. From whence comes my help. In other words, the first sentence is a statement. The second statement is a question. He looks to the hills and then he looks inwardly and he asks himself the question, where am I going to find any help? He's having a dialogue with himself. You say, well, that's not a real healthy thing to do, but we do it all the time, don't we? When was the last time you said to yourself, what am I going to do? That's what the psalmist is saying. I will look to the hills. He knew he had to get through those hills to Jerusalem. Then he asked himself the question, from whence comes my help? He looked around and then he looked within. And finally, he looked above. In verse 2, he comes to the very strong affirmation of this psalm. He said, my help comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. Finally, he comes to the point That is the whole secret to understanding these eight verses. He said, I have looked around to the mountains without help. I've looked within, and I don't know where to go. But finally, I looked up, and I realized my help, all of my help, comes from God. What a lesson to learn as we make our journey as pilgrims on this earth. My help comes from the Lord. The Lord is described here as the God who made heaven and earth. That's not accidental. That's a great encouragement to us when we understand its meaning. 
Over and over again in the Old Testament, this is a little phrase that's attached to the blessings that the Jewish people passed one to another. Like Psalm 115, verse 15, which says, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Or Psalm 134 in verse 3, The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Or Psalm 146, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth. You say, why is that in there? Why is that tacked on? Let me tell you why. The power of this statement is wrapped up in the idea that since God is the creator of all things and all things are his handiwork, he has the power to help us. When he who is the creator has made everything that has been made and we come to him and say, God, help, we're not only coming to a God who has offered his help, but one who is able to extend it. How many of you know that God is not just the creator of all things, he is the sustainer of all things? Paul, writing to the Colossians, reminded us that God is the one who created everything. By him all things are created. And at the end of the verse it says, all things are in him and all things consist by him, which means they're held together by him. If God should forever a moment remove his hand from this universe, it would fly out into oblivion. But God continues to sustain us. He is the one who has created and the one who sustains. So when you get on your journey to a place where you don't know what to do and you say, Lord, I need help, just remember this. The one to whom you're praying is the one who made heaven and earth. He's the creator God. Friend, I don't know what kind of problem you've got, but when you've got a resume like God has, he can help you. He can help you. What a great encouragement. And that really is the key to the whole psalm. This God who made heaven and earth is the one who has promised to be our helper. And in verses 3 through 8, we see the promises that have been made to us by Almighty God to help us along the way. It's interesting that in verse 3, the person of the speaker changes We move from a first-person declaration to a third person. For those of you who are into grammar, you can check it out with the personal pronouns in the psalm. Some have thought that a whole new person is speaking in verse 3. In other words, that in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist has asked the questions, and in verses 3 through 8, somebody, perhaps like a priest, comes along and makes the answers. But I don't think that's what's going on at all. I think this is an internal dialogue in the heart of the psalmist. Asking questions of God and then framing the answers and writing them down for our benefit. There are three things that he comes to in these eight verses about God that will help you as you put your trust in him. When you cry out to God, here's what you need to remember. First of all, he perceives you. He knows you. How many of you are glad that God knows who you are? Isn't it unbelievable? The God who made heaven and earth knows who you are. He does. He knows you by name. I've been having a lot of fun looking in the mirror every day and being reminded that he numbers the hair on my head. (laughs) I've been known to count them just recently, seeing how we're doing. God and I are taking good care of that, watching over the crop that's growing, you know. If God knows the number of the hairs on your head, don't you think he knows what your problem is? Don't you think he knows what you're going through? Don't you think he's concerned about what your experience is. When you say, God, I need your help, God knows. He perceives you. Notice what the text says. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. This Lord, this maker of heaven and earth, is perceived here as one who three times the psalm says, doesn't go to sleep on you. I remember reading a story about a man by the name of Bishop Quayle, who was a leader in the Methodist church years ago. He related an experience of the Lord's providence in his life. He said one night he worked into the early morning hours trying to finish his work, and he was so tired and the projects were overwhelming. At a moment of intense pressure, his eye fell on the 121st Psalm and the promise of the Lord's 24-hour vigil over him. He said he was reminded that his efforts to work for God rather than allowing God to work through him were defeating and extremely exhausting. So in his inner voice, he heard the Lord say to him in his heart, the Lord said, Quail, there's no need for both of us to stay up all night. I'm going to stay up anyway, so you go to bed and get a good sleep. (laughs) I thought, wow, that's a great truth, isn't it? How many of you have ever walked the floor at night over your kids or you've walked the floor over some sickness that you didn't know the answer to or some problem in your life and you worry and frustrate and wonder who's taking care of things and then all of a sudden you read in the Bible that the God in whom you have trusted, the one you asked for help, he doesn't ever sleep. He never slumbers. He never takes a day off. He's never gone on a journey out of town. God is always there whenever you call upon him. I'm surprised As I travel across the country, we have some releases of Turning Point that come on at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. I always thought, well, we'll put it on there. Maybe some truck will hear it while it's driving across the country. But everywhere I go, I find dozens and scores of people who are night people, people who for some reason or another, because of arthritic pain or whatever, can't sleep, and so they turn the radio on at night. I have a book in my library by a wonderful friend by the name of Ron Meal, and the title of the book is this, God Works the Night Shift, Isn't that a great thought? He's always there, no matter when you need him. In the loneliest, darkest hour of the night, he's there because he doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. You remember old Elijah in the Old Testament when he had the battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? And, you know, they were going to find out who the real God was. I love this story. And Elijah kind of challenged the prophets of Baal, and he said, we're going to put a sacrifice on our altars and call upon God to come down and consume it with fire. So he gave them, you know, he let them go first. And from morning until noon, the prophets of Baal cried out to their God to come down and consume the sacrifice, and nothing happened. And you can just see the panic in their voices. They're crying out to God, oh God, come down and consume this. And long about noon, when their time was about up, Elijah did something that no preacher should ever do because I already told you that sarcasm doesn't have any place in our life. But he had a little mean streak in him, Elijah did. And he couldn't resist because he already knew what was going on. So he decided he'd mock him a little bit. And I read this with a smile. I'm not telling you this is a good pattern to follow in your own life, but this is what Elijah did. Read what he said. And it was noon that Elijah mocked them and he said, cry aloud. For he is a God, either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and you have to wake him up. (laughs) I love it. He was a creative man. I tell you what, you got to be real secure to do that, because he was next, right? He was going to call on his God. But isn't it interesting how wonderful the truth is in the word of God, that God never goes to sleep on us. He's always there. 
when Alexander the Great was asked how he could sleep so soundly, surrounded by so much personal danger, he replied on one occasion that Parmenio, his faithful guard, was watching so he could sleep. My friend, if a great general can sleep when an earthly guard watches over him by night, how much more should we sleep knowing that our eternal God is watching over us and he never slumbers and he never sleeps. He perceives us. Amen. Amen. More from Psalm 121 tomorrow here on Turning Point. I hope you'll join us then. Hey, friends, we're going to the Caribbean uh, at the end of this year. We have not talked about it much because we've been so kind of obsessed with Alaska and with the Israel trip. But uh, this beautiful opportunity will be yours December the 27th through the 7th of January. It's a tour to the Caribbean, and it features Michael Sanchez, Yoriel Vega, and the Martins. And we're going to be visiting some places that we don't usually go to, some very wonderful places, St. Lucia, the Dominica. We'll be in St. Thomas and uh, St. Kitts, and we'll be on the beautiful island that is owned by the cruise company, which is one of the favorite places everybody goes because it's set up just for us. You can come with us for this 11-day tour. I know that it will be a blessing to you. It will calm your heart, help you recover from whatever challenges you faced in 23, and get all ready for 24. We're all in this together. We hope you'll come and be with us. Find out about it at davidjeremiah.org slash events. We hope you'll join us. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, When Your World Falls Apart, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series When Your World Falls Apart on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game, where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. All of us have tried the seafood diet. We see food and we eat it. Obviously, that's not a healthy way to live. 
Besides being unhealthy physically, it contradicts a rarely discussed principle that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10.23. There Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Just because something is possible doesn't mean it's wise. It's true that we are free to eat any food, but we have to ask, is it helpful? Does it edify? Those questions apply not just to food, but to all of life. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life and discover God's best on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.